This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving meal because the weekend, not so good for LSU, if you were watching both football and basketball on Saturday, that is. And with me, Billy Embody, to break it down, is Shay Dixon. And Shay, look, the, the game against Texas A&M went you know, poorly offensively. Defense really came out with a strong effort, I would say, something to build off of for sure. But the big news of the weekend, and we're going to jump right into it, is Terrace Marshall opting out of LSU's season, foregoing the rest of his season, really, to enter the NFL draft and prepare for the NFL draft, which at this point, in my opinion, it's kind of tough to blame him with the way things have gone offensively. I think he's probably playing hurt and certainly has had uh, his injury issues in the past. This is a matter of, I think, him putting some great tape out there and saying, you know what, better not risk uh, the injury that is left, uh, you know, potentially to, to happen in these last few games. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, and I well, you kind of just broke it down. But from talking to people, both when we heard that he was going to opt out, he was going to play in the A&M game and, and then opt out afterwards. And I looked back and I thought, okay, I can remember about a month and a half ago when multiple people were telling me uh, that, look, at least people around the program, Marshall's gotten it out. Um, I had been commenting about how well he'd been playing. And they said, look, he's playing through multiple minor injuries. He's, um, you know, kind of stuck it out. And I think everyone is most surprised at the timing of it. Like, right, there's only a few games left. And you just given a speech to the team about rallying them and everyone's sticking together and finishing out. And then you decide to opt out. And I don't have all the answers there. I don't know every little backdoor meeting that he and his parents or um, people advising him or, or whatever had. Um, but I do know that you look back to his freshman year of high school, didn't play his freshman year because he was injured. Sophomore year, finally started playing. Junior year, he had that monster season when everyone recruited him. He shot up to a five-star. Uh, and then his senior year, he starts the year out and breaks his fibula and dislocated his ankle in the same you know moment. Uh, and that was, what, two games into his senior year. So he has surgery. Everyone can remember right when he got here in 2018. That was Burrow's first year. People were asking, where's Marshall? And he would always update him at 60%, 70%. He would play a little as a backup, obviously. Uh, but it wasn't until 2019 that he explodes. And Billy still missed three games then. And it was a month because uh, of, you know, bye week and, and the, kind of the 28 days that had stretched across the time he was out. Uh, but he had a foot fracture and had surgery on that. And from talking to medical people or talking to NFL people about medical stuff just over the years, not about terrorists, they will get into your extra, everything that you've ever gone through when they get into uh, your files, both at the combine and through the background research, all this stuff's going to pop up. And you're telling me that he's kind of banged up right now. That becomes a worst case scenario for a kid who's a first or second round draft pick type guy. That's what can drop you down a board. I think he probably thought, uh, hey, look, I've made it this far. Uh, I am healthy enough to play, but also don't want to risk it further. And I think that's what it boils down to, making a decision. He he wrote a message or released a statement about it, and I think that 
as quickly or right after he thanked everyone. The first thing he said, Billy, was my goal has always been to make the NFL and to be able to retire my parents. And uh, I think when you feel really close to that and it's within reach for him, whether he played or didn't, um, I think that he went ahead and made the decision that, hey, I'll, I'll let it go these final games. Yeah, and look, there's been a ton of debate on the board, and and what it boils down to for me is, like you said, you know, being able to set up your family for the rest of your life. Um, I don't think anybody on the board really knows, you know, Terrace's family background and and all of that, but that was certainly one of his goals coming to LSU, and and just the NFL development that you get is to set up his family for the rest of their lives. And I think, like you said, perfect example. Now that it's re- within reach, this is probably the right time to do it. Um, you know, it just so happens that two of LSU's toughest opponents are on the horizon these next two weeks. And I, I still think for Terrace, I don't think he has really anything left to prove. You know, he proved it last year in the Alabama game. He doesn't have to play Alabama. There's not a question, you know, for Terrace Marshall. I think if he's, uh, you know, scared of Alabama, he showed why he's one of the best receivers in the country last year against Alabama. This year with where everything is at, I don't fault him for opting out and or foregoing his, the rest of his eligibility to prepare for the NFL draft. Some people aren't going to agree with it. I just think this is a unique year, a unique season, uh, and a unique opportunity for Terrace Marshall to having now secured, I think, a really high draft grade for him to take care of himself and make sure he's as healthy as possible for his future and and all of, like you said, the 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 checking uh, into into medical history and the combine, uh, however that looks or if that happens uh, in, in the future, that that's what's important, I think. And sometimes I think people have to recognize it. And, and you know, with what LSU has left to play for, I don't fault Terrace, and that's just my take. Um, we'll see if this is the last of the, the opt-outs for LSU. There's two, three games left for them this season. But one thing that I think is, is another big storyline from this weekend is – the defensive performance. Uh, if, if you watched LSU's defense for mo- most of the season, you really thought not only did they lose a bunch of NFL draft picks off of the defense, but they had all of their players opt out and they were rolling out uh, some some backups all year. But they stuck with it. They hit that bye week after the Alabama game, and or, or uh, you know that was from the Alabama game being postponed originally, and put in a lot of work had a really strong performance for the most part against Arkansas, gave them a chance to win, and then they come back against Texas A&M, one of the best offenses in the country, and they hold them to 13 points and 267 yards. Wet field and rain or not, they really did a good job limiting explosive plays, and that's something to build off of heading into a game against Alabama. Yeah, and I don't expect them to beat Alabama, and the defense can play as well as they did against A&M, and and Bama's still going to score points. But let's be real. If we're going to knock this defense and Bo Pelini all year, major kudos then have to go out for the effort against AM. That's a top-five team. Now, like you said, it's pouring down rain. It's not great conditions for either offense, but LSU executed. And what I said this weekend um, was really the answer O gave today when uh, when asked about the defense and, and what stood out most uh, of the key to success. And they minimized all of those explosive plays where – guys were running wide open or they were just giving up, um, you know, back to back to back type drives where you could just crank one, you know, 40, 50 yard playoff and and you're back in the end zone. Mond had a big play early running. Spiller had a couple of big plays running, but that was really it. 
and everything else. I mean, even certainly in the first half, the defense buckled in. They were forcing a bunch of three and outs. Uh, they held AM, I think, to just maybe one third down conversion. It wasn't many, um, but played really well. And I think the defensive backs deserve some credit. Jay Ward has stepped up. Cordell Flott played great. Um, you could go up and down the, the list. Micah Baskerville's been a, a great addition uh, or move uh, addition to the starting line, lineup and moving him off the bench and letting him play middle linebacker. And we've seen these D linemen uh, start to come and play a little bit more and more. So it, it feels good to see, right, that they're finally putting it together. And, and Orcheron said today, Billy said it's probably a mix of Polini finding the balance between what he wants them all to do and what they're capable of doing. And, and then the kids, the players finding um, kind of their role in, in what Polini wants them to do within how they're able to play and, and feeling settled into that. So hopefully McGrossy's final um, two to three games, however many might be left here in the regular season, depending on what they do at that old Miss game, that uh, we can continue to watch a defense that grows because they've got some good young talent. Um, let's be real at times. Some of the veterans are the ones uh, who are a bit disappointing or leaving something to be desired. Uh, they've got some young kids who look eager, and and the more reps they get, Billy, the better. Yeah, and look, it wasn't just you know, uh, Texas A&M's offense that you know looked bad on Saturday night. Uh, LSU's offense didn't really fare any better uh, in a way. Uh, there was a chance, you know, I think before the pick six that LSU could have, you know, had a chance to to put the drive together and, and put drives together and, and win the football game. The Kayshawn Butte overturned touchdown catch was obviously a key play in the game. TJ Finley's intercepted right after that. Uh, and, and then from there, they really didn't get too much going uh, until Max Johnson went in you know, late in the game, I feel like. And I think one, the Kayshawn Butte overturned touchdown call was probably the right call. I think just when he flipped it down to kind of get it to his body, where it's probably he's in control of what he's doing, that's a bobble, and that's probably where they they ruled him, uh, you know, ruled it incomplete. But it was a super athletic play. I think it's one of those calls that, in the grand scheme of things, is probably a catch. You know, I think anytime these guys that are one super athletic know what they're doing with the football in that type of a scenario, it's a catch. It's it, it's kind of like you know the Des Bryant catch you know years ago or whatever. Uh, it, you know, what is a catch anymore? when you're Keishon Butte and you've got the body control and you've got your one foot in and, and you're contorting your body to make that catch. And if he would have just held it at his face mask, it would have been a catch compared to him flipping it down to himself. Uh, that that's, you know, something that would be more of a judgment call, but anyway, I, enough with my uh, rant about that call, but TJ Finley, Max Johnson, both both saw time against Texas A and M, and you know for TJ Finley, two turnovers that, and especially the pick six, you know, drew uh, you know a lot of criticism from Ed Ogeron, and and certainly was, you know, I think something he wants back. But I think Max Johnson probably sees a little bit more time this week against Alabama, just with what he did late in the game against Texas A and M. Now he won't have Terrace Marshall. That was probably his favorite target late in the game. But for the most part, I think we start to see maybe the snaps start to even out a little bit more. I mean, it could. And I think at this point, look, and, and I think TJ showed promise in spots. And, and I think that Max, Max has certainly shown as a freshman, he can read the defense. Um, he's certainly the more uh, uh, agile mobile one of the two. He can open up the read option game. Finley can put it downfield for you a bit more. Um, has the bigger arm for sure. 
um, looks poised. Both of them look poised. I don't think it's that. I think it's well, a, they're freshmen, but maybe that's really kind of like B a, the O-line was terrible against A&M. They weren't good at all. And they've been that way in, mul- in multiple spots this year. And if those guys aren't blocking anyone and not giving these young kids uh, not just time on each play to, to get settled in or, or whatever that might, or time on each play to execute that play, but time to where they feel settled in that they feel like, okay, I'm not going to be running for my life. I can actually make these reads. And how often do we see them? Both of them, they go to the check downs. It's what they feel comfortable with. It's what they know um, is kind of uh, low risk. And, and, but unfortunately not much of a, a high reward because they just weren't able to get anything done. They were throwing short of the sticks. They weren't really pushing it downfield. And I think that's got, what's got to change at this point. I, I don't really care. I like not in terms of like my invested interest, but for LSU's outcome of Bama, I don't think they're going to win either way. And it really doesn't matter to me in terms of strategy, which guy I would put out there. I'd play them both fine, but your game plan's got to change. And, and you've got to be better blocking, sure. And, and I know it's tough to go downfield if you've got no time to do it, but they've got to find a way to get a little more vertical in the passing game because uh, if guys, if defenses are just saying, okay, we'll just keep it all in front of us, well, these young guys are going to take the check downs. They don't have a good O-line. They're going to get sacked. Uh, the running game has not really jumped off, off the page in, in any game beyond one, you know, two of them maybe. So uh, I think that's that's my worry uh, for these two young guys moving forward is, yeah, it'd, it'd be great. Let's get them both some reps and, and try to get some experience for them. But when you actually look at how you're going to move the football, how you're going to win the game, after watching A&M, and again, I know it was in the driving rain and everything, but when you toss all the O-line play and their youth and now Marshall out and all that in, it's tough to think that they're really going to get much going regardless. So I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what the approach will be this week. And, and I'm with you. I bet they're, they're going to use them both and they're going to try to use Max in the read option game. And, and we'll see where things stand with Finley, who's been the starter. Yeah, I think, like you said, the checkdowns and, and TJ Finley tried to get the checkdown or at least, you know, one of his hot reads there uh, when he threw that interception, it kind of got tipped and was a little bit behind. And that's that's what resulted in his his interception, at least uh, I think his first one, that is. And I, I think you might as well just try and find a way to air it out. I mean, like it, there's you need to run the football. You need to try to you know keep your defense off, you know, off the field against Alabama and, and eat up some clock. But take your shots. I mean. You know, TJ, like you said, has the bigger arm, I would say, uh, and certainly can can flick it uh, a, a ways. He's got to get a little bit more accurate on those, on those deep balls. Uh, but, you know, go down swing and, I mean, try to make it, you know, fun for these guys and, and, and try to build a game plan that they're excited about because the way it is with how they have to just do all these things just to try and, you know, minimize mistakes, it's probably, you know, so vanilla that uh, it's probably not – something they generally get excited about. I mean, you get excited to play and things like that, but they've got to do something to try and energize this offense, get some sort of confidence uh, if they can, but uh, it's going to be tough. You know, no, no Terrace Marshall, Racy McMath, very questionable. Uh, no Tory Carter as well. So that, that uh, leaves you somebody that is physical and, you know, could be in there as you know, a little bit of help and pass protection as well. So they've got, they've got some, uh, some things that, I think they they really got to get figured out before the Alabama game. I don't think it's going to be pretty by any means. I mean, I think, you know, the spread came out as 28 and a half. And, you know, unless something changes, LSU's offense is, is just not going to be able to cover that. And the defense probably won't be able to 
to slow down Bama in, in all likelihood. Yeah, and look, McMath has been battling that hamstring injury, as you mentioned. Marshall opts out. Uh, Trey Palmer at receiver is still not back from what appears to be a lingering injury. But even then, um, you know, we've seen him so explosive when he gets his chances in the punt return game, a couple touchdowns over his first two seasons. But he had, what, a catch in the first week, a catch in the second week, didn't have another catch till the Auburn game, and then hasn't had a catch since. And, and he's missed a couple games, uh, obviously, since Halloween. But where does he fit in even when he's back on the field? Um, not quite sure yet. So at receiver, um, when you talk about this offense and getting it going, and I'd love to see him get the run game going, but um, just to ask the question, what happens in a world without Marshall? And, and certainly they've already been dealing with that without Chase. Uh, well, now Gilbert is number one. And that's the first guy O said. And he said, get the ball more than number six uh, a week ago. And they threw it. I think they targeted him like 10 times uh, this past weekend. Uh, only had three catches. Um, so it wasn't quite the safety valve that, that you'd like him to be, but you got to find him. Uh, those weren't all great throws, obviously. So I look at him first. He leads the team in catches and receptions, uh, or excuse me, and receiving yards now that uh, Terrace is gone. But Jeray, uh, John Trey uh, are your vets. And Jeray certainly someone you've got to lean on heavily. Uh, he's proven he can get it done for you and, and certainly can get it done for you going downfield. But a lot of eyes will be on these young guys, right? I mean, Kayshawn Butte is has flashed those big playmaking abilities that made him a five-star. Uh, Coy Moore has proven um, that he can get uh, not just into the game. He's got sure hands. He's playing on punt returns right now over Stingley. He's going to only average about eight yards a catch, which is on the low end of all these guys. But for these young quarterbacks, that's their best friend. He's another one of those checkdowns that, you know, he'll at least catch it if you throw it over there. Uh, and then we'll see if we get any Alex Adams, the other freshman. But I would imagine it's going to be interesting. McMath's hamstring sounds like it's going to keep him out. Palmer sort of been behind the eight ball. So you're looking at a weekend this weekend against Bama where your top receivers will be Jare Jenkins, Kayshawn Butte, and who from there? John Trey and Coy Moore. Um, so Eric Gilbert becomes so massive right now at a position where if Torrey Carter's not playing, they only have him and Cole Taylor who uh, got his first catch. Um, this past weekend, I can't remember. There was a flag on that place. So I don't even know if it stood, but uh, point being, boy, oh boy, do they feel good that they have Eric Gilbert because had Billy, had they not signed him, I'm not even sure who are they throwing the football to. They wouldn't have a tight end right now. Uh, and then you've got, then you've got three guys, Kayshawn Butte, Jenkins, and, uh, and John Trey uh, as your kind of chief pass catchers and, and Coy Moore. It's, it's totally what a far cry from a year ago. Yeah, it, it's insane, obviously, where, uh, things are at just a year removed from uh, what what what's what's today Monday November 30th when we're recording and you know we were going into SEC championship week uh, just a year ago talking about uh, all the records and and uh, you know certainly coming off uh, a 50 to 7 uh, win over uh, Texas A&M just a year ago and it, everything was was on top of the world and and now all of a sudden uh, it, it's it's just, it's, it's insane. I mean, it really is, but uh, yeah, Eric Gilbert's got to be a guy that, uh, and they did, I mean, they took a deep shot to him uh, as well in, in the A&M game. And so, you know, maybe you start to move him around a little bit more and, and try to find some different ways to get him the ball instead of just you know, maybe being a, a safety blanket for the check down. But look, that was a big recruiting win for LSU and Ed Ogeron to get him on board. And I think we're kind of done, I think, until the preview pod on, where things are at with LSU on the field, but uh, off the field, early signing period just a couple weeks away. On the other side of this break from the Go 24-7 podcast, we'll talk about 
a couple of key targets for LSU emerging, and then a big, big target has set his commitment date. We'll share some thoughts on that on the other side of this break from the Go 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. A quick reminder, guys, to leave us a rating, leave us a review, and subscribe to the Go 24-7 podcast. Appreciate all you guys who have done that already. Shay, we dropped a major Tiger Wrap uh, over the weekend to kick off the Texas A&M game uh, day. And look, a lot of that you know, covered really where the class is at, some of the key targets, uh, where those targets are trending. But even since then, we've seen two more targets emerge uh, at the linebacker position and one, uh, a linebacker that just committed or decommitted, excuse me, from Boston College. And that's Trevin Wallace out of Jessup County, uh, out of Jessup, Georgia. He goes to Wayne County High. Uh, He's been a huge riser on 24-7 sports, the top 100 linebacker. The crystal ball just landed on Auburn. LSU needs to turn up the heat there to stay in it uh, before he does decide to make that college commitment. LSU's probably hoping that he takes things to the spring, but he's undecided right now. Auburn and Ole Miss are two other programs to watch. Let's start there. Uh, What's the buzz you've heard on Trevin Wallace and where things stand with really this super athletic linebacker from the Peach State? Yeah, I mean, we've had a couple of people already at 24-7 catching up with him, and, uh, and he said that, what, Auburn? Auburn's been considered sort of behind the scenes to be a major player here. And I think that they would be one you could circle and say, okay, they might be out front of the rest, but it's also a situation where he's going to wait till February. So if he's not inking in a few weeks and he's going to play it out and and perhaps at least make a visit or two to some campuses, even though you can't talk to coaches, but uh, go and see things with his family and, and the decision makers around him, that could put LSU into a spot and, and I know we'll also look, they offered a Juco linebacker, Navantech Strong, and he's a guy out of what, Mississippi Gulf Coast, who is number one Juco linebacker in the country and committed to Mississippi State. And we'll see if they can get in on him. Um, it pro- they've really jumped in early, I think, uh, of now that people will see his film. Uh, Coach O and the staff watched him uh, this past weekend, made the offer then, really liked him. And Billy, I think it says more than anything is, yeah, they've got Rajon Davis and Greg Penn committed at middle linebacker, but they know that they're going to have to grow that position some. Damone Clark didn't live up to expectations this year. You've got Matt, Micah Baskerville uh, up there in age, a junior who's now on the field. Uh, Jabril Cox is a guy playing linebacker that he was a one and done here. He's not. He came here as a grad transfer. I don't see him sticking around again. He's going to go to the NFL, uh, in my opinion. And guys like Ray Thornton are, are seniors. And 
you don't have a ton of linebackers beyond that. Devonta Lee had been a linebacker at one point. He's now a tight end. Uh, Josh White certainly is a middle linebacker that people want to see more from, but we haven't gotten a chance to. And then there's some young guys. Antoine Sampa uh, is someone who's been injured this year. He's not going to be able to play the rest of the way and hasn't uh, yet. So a lot of unknowns there. And, and so I guess what I'm saying is people, Billy, saw, man, it's a few weeks till the first signing day and we're offering more linebackers. Well, what does that mean for the two committed? Nothing. They're going to sign. I think that the, the thought from LSU right now is, is that even enough? Because you know you'll probably lose Jabril. I mentioned the rest. Uh, you didn't get what you wanted out of Cox, excuse me, out of Damone Clark this year. Does that change next year? You haven't seen what Josh White can really do, even though there's promise there. It's too much unknown. And, and I, I like the idea of jumping into the JUCO ranks for a guy um, like Strong, who has been uber productive, 100 tackle guy a year ago. He's on pace for that again. Uh, he's got the big time offers. He's an SEC guy. If you got to plug and play uh, to get depth and LSU in that spot right now, boy, are they hurting on overall numbers. Uh, these are the kind of offers you got to make. Yeah, 100%. And, and they've got to continue to uh, upgrade the, the talent level on the roster as well. And I think that's a position where they probably feel like they, they need to address and, and uh, continue to add to what they have already committed in, in the class. And it, going off that, you flip over to the other side of the ball and uh, offensive line is uh, when it comes down to where LSU needs to get number one, more bodies, number two, a huge upgrade in talent. It's the offensive line. And we start with Tristan Lee, who's been the number one target for James Craig and Ed Ogeron at, at that position for quite some time. He's a five-star prospect. He just set his commitment date uh, for January 2nd. Uh, LSU and Oklahoma kind of battling it out on the crystal ball for him. Uh, but he has five finalists, uh, and I believe uh, it's LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, uh, Clemson, and Florida. And when Tristan Lee caught up with Steve Wiltfong, he told him that, you know, for the most part, LSU, Oklahoma, uh, and and um, uh, Ohio State are the the main three that he's been talking with. And then Clemson and Florida have been turning up the heat. And Clemson's a school that you know, back in the spring, that was the one that held the crystal ball lead, if I if I remember correctly, uh, for Tristan Lee. He had visited, he picked up his offer, and uh, it just kind of seemed like he might trend that way. Now they're coming around and making a late push for Tristan Lee, who just uh, – and, and Clemson just hosted Corey Foreman on a, a visit. Or, well, you know, he did a player-led visit. So Tristan Lee sets his commitment date. What's kind of your thoughts on Tristan Lee? Because – you know, that's one that LSU has to have and they feel good about as well. Yeah, I mean, people people think, and it's been mentioned on our board, people said, oh, the OU stuff, that can't be real. You're just, they're drumming up interest, trying to make suspense for his, his commitment. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. Look, LSU's in a battle right now. And with, with Oklahoma, with Ohio State, with Clemson, with all these teams, because you got some cards stacked against you now, right? Like the public perception of LSU this season hasn't been great. The on-field performance hasn't been great. Um, they're in the, you know, not in the news for being 15-0 and 0, like they were all a year ago. And the, the kids are, these recruits are going to have other coaches in their ear about that. That's just the reality of it. It's how recruiting works. So you're having to just, now, and this isn't just with Tristan Lee, this is with all those kids. Now, I think it's a good sign that you've seen LSU hold on to all their commitments. All the guys who said I'm in, have not backed off uh, as the year went on. And I think that bodes well for hoping you can finish strong here without uh, any worry about uh, the woes that you've had to go through 
both on and off the field. Now I'll say this. I will go back, and as you said, you go back to when Clemson was in a really good spot, um, or at least presumably in a really good spot um, for Tristan Lee. I think that one thing that sort of separated LSU, and, and I remember an interview I did with him, and he said this to me, where he said, look, and, and he wasn't actually speaking specifically about any school, but you can go look at everyone's roster. If you follow recruiting, you can track it. But he said, look, a lot of he said a lot of schools say they need you, right? But then I, he's like, then I'll go look at your depth chart, and you've signed back-to-back, you know, five-star offensive tackles in three straight classes. So how bad do you need me? And I think for him, he's not asking for a starting spot to be given, but he wants a legit shot to play early. This is a kid who's played for three straight seasons and hasn't given up a sack. He's one goal for him. If I've got all the options I have, I'd like to go somewhere. Yeah, sure, where I feel comfortable and I like, and we can compete for championships, but then I've got a shot to really compete to play. And I think LSU offers that more than anyone at this stage. Uh, and OU certainly beat and bought and, and that staff have done a very good job recruiting him. And they could very well pull this off. Look, Caleb Williams uh, is on the East Coast, committed to Oklahoma, is their sort of ringleader of their class and and has been in Tristan's ear as, as much as anyone. And the same would go for Caleb Williams, the father, uh, being sort of um, a heavy kind of not influence, but uh, presence. Uh, around Tristan's mom on visits they made to Oklahoma, which is put on by the Williams family. They've mentioned him in interviews. So there's a lot of people pushing him to OU. I think at the end of the day, um, I think Tristan likes a lot of these schools very much. Um, I think that this is one where his mom's opinion uh, and kind of feeling on things is going to go a long way. And I think LSU's put themselves and continues to put themselves in a solid spot there that's what's made me feel good enough to stay on my crystal ball pick. We'll see if anything changes before that early January date when he announces. But if you were telling me that he was going to pick today, Billy, I'm still sticking with LSU. Yeah, that, that will probably be along with Corey Foreman, uh, who is also announcing on January 2nd. January 2nd could be a massive day for LSU. Well, and Jordan Gilbert. So yeah, and Jordan Gilbert. He's also announcing that day. Yeah, yeah, it could be a massive day for LSU. It could be a solid day if they, you know, end up with, you know, two of the three or even one of the three if it's a Tristan Lee or a Corey Foreman for sure. But, I mean, it could also, you know, obviously not, not go as hot. But I think for LSU, like you said, they're in a battle with Tristan Lee or for Tristan Lee and to get him on board. And there's been a lot of buzz around Tristan and LSU for sure. I mean, two back-to-back weekends, he took visits. Uh, he brought his girlfriend. He, you know, has had his family on his visits. I'll be interested to see how he approaches things over the next couple of weeks before uh, the December signing period, because he's supposedly going to sign privately with the school and then announce it on that January 2nd date. So that'll be something to watch. We'll, we'll have to see. This could be, I think with, with some of these recruitments that are going to January 2nd, if these schools can kind of keep their mouth shut, we're, we're in for a lot of intrigue uh, in, in early January. And you'll remember a year ago, you're right. So again, and in layman's terms, or to, to explain what you're saying to people, these kids have from, it's like December 18th or to the 20th or whatever it is this year. So it's like a three-day window, right, in the middle of the week uh, in December where you can sign and then you can't sign anymore until fe- you know the window opens again the first Wednesday in February. Um, but what these kids will do is say, okay, I've sent in my facts, but y'all don't release it and I'm going to wait a couple of weeks and then announce it on this television show. 
you know, for instance, the all American game ceremony, the game's not being played, but they're still going to do the two hours on NBC of, uh, of just rolling out commitments. And uh, as you alluded, can a school keep it quiet? You remember a year ago when Zach Evans made it almost pretty much to his announcement with people not realizing he had already signed with Georgia, which like nobody was even expecting that to be the choice. So even as a high profile as it, like a guy like Zach Evans was a year ago, the running back, that's still stayed relatively quiet. So you're right. If, if these teams can, can do a good job of not spilling the beans, we can still go into this signing day stretch uh, and move through it and get to January and still be wondering for sure, um, you know, where a couple of these guys might have signed. Just please, please, no, no uh, intrigue like Zach Evans had after he signed that letter of intent with Georgia uh, getting released. We don't, we don't need to. I, we love all these recruits and all, all of that, but we don't, we don't need uh, the, to track somebody wanting to be released from his national letter of intent. I think all these guys are, are good to go uh, with signing where we're there, wherever they end up, though. No, well, hopefully, golly, now I'm getting flashbacks. Yes, I don't, I don't necessarily think we're running into that one again. Unique circumstance. No question. But look, Shay, we've gone on long enough. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. A little football, a little recruiting. Uh, we'll get back at it later this week as well, by previewing LSU Alabama and uh, taking a look at that matchup in Tiger Stadium. Uh, prime time on CBS Saturday night. We'll be there to cover it for you guys with go247.com. If you're listening to this on Monday, don't be afraid to jump on our Cyber Monday sale with 75% off annual subscriptions. That actually goes through, here's a secret, goes through Tuesday at midnight Eastern time. So don't be afraid to jump on board. A lot of recruiting news to come. uh, So don't miss out on that premium scoop. We'll take you all the way through early signing period, national signing day, and then beyond with the 2022 class. Uh, That'll get you all really roped in for the next uh, cycle and a half. So be sure to check that out. Appreciate all you guys listening and have a great rest of the week.